All right, well, good morning and welcome. My name is Darren, and I want to invite you to turn in your worship guide to page three, where we're going to have a reading from Scripture. And this is actually our last sermon in our Exodus series that we've been calling With a Mighty Hand, Becoming Reacquainted with the Power of God. And so I'm going to read the text that's printed there. It comes from the 18th chapter of Exodus, verses 10 through 27, and then invite you to respond as directed below. Would you listen now with open ears as I read from this, the book that we love. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And when the people stood around Moses from morning till evening, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people have come to me to inquire of God. And when they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another. And I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. Were the thing is too heavy for you, you are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice, I will give you guidance, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them known the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. O Lord our God, we come to this time and we sit under these words, and I recognize, Father, that as we assemble here today, uh, I recognize that in a room this size, no doubt, uh, we come from all sorts of different places. Some of us have come in this room, and our lives uh, feel like the sunshine that is outside Things are right, we feel good, our children are well. 
Others of us, Father, the situation couldn't be more different. Some of us come here and our lives are not well. In fact, they are a wreck. Uh, some of us come here with deep anxiety and fear. Some of us with depression. Others of us even in despair. And I recognize, Lord, that some of us come here full of faith and hope and trust in you. We come here anxious uh, to hear from you today, to be addressed by you, to commune with you and the table that follows. And others of us are here, and we're not even sure why we're here. We're not quite sure if you're real. We don't know if the words that have just been read will make any difference in our lives. Uh, we don't know if you're good. We have all sorts of questions. We have more doubt than we have faith. And Lord, I pray, therefore, whatever place we find ourselves in today, whether we come here uh, feeling blessing or dealing with despair, whether we come here with much faith or experiencing an overflow of doubt, I pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we come all ultimately the same. Every single one of us, from the youngest child to the most senior saint, has entered this room with an overwhelming need to connect with you, to know you, to be changed by you. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you have accomplished this and are accomplishing it in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Amen, well good morning, uh, so great to be with you. Again, my name is Darren, and we are wrapping up our sermon series on the first part of the book of Exodus that we've been calling, With a Mighty Hand, becoming reacquainted with the power of God. And the premise of this sermon series is that God has an interest in showing his people his power. However, what we've been noticing all along the way is that simply experiencing his power does not mean that you will look for it, that you will believe in it, that you will trust it in the future. So we've seen this demonstrated in the life of Pharaoh, who had a very high definition demonstration of God's power over and over and over and over again. And it's presented in a way that's almost absurd because as that happens, the next day he wakes up, he got a good night's sleep, and he thought, eh, God's not really that much to worry about. I'm just going to do my thing, right? Instantly, it seems, forgets about it. We next saw that as Israel is finally rescued from Egypt, they go out in incredible power such as never been demonstrated in all of human history as they've seen the dead Egyptians floating in the water with all of their military might, and they come upon need, and immediately, instead of calling out for God's power that they just saw demonstrated with high definition, right, like never before has ever happened, instead of calling out and crying out for him to repeat those things, they despair. So that has been our, our main overall thrust. But today, right, so far in the book of Exodus, maybe the exception of the very beginning, but so far since Moses has started talking to Pharaoh, Moses has gotten off the hook. Okay, Moses has gotten off the hook to a significant extent. You know, Israelites, not off the hook. Pharaoh, definitely not off the hook. But Moses has come away, you know, kind of okay up until now. And friends, this is, in my opinion, this passage that was just read, 
This sends a message to me that shakes me at my core, and I hope will also shake you as well. You see, even Moses, with his unique leadership, his unique relationship with God, the scriptures say that he would speak to God as a man speaks to someone else face to face. He had had the creme de la creme of a relationship with God. And yet, with all of that, he did not recognize God's power in a certain area, right? He did not recognize God's power in a certain area. He had what is called a blind spot. He was blind to something, right? I just want you to appreciate that, that this is, you know, Moses has made it through unscathed up until now. He is working hard. He's working 90 hours a week, doing his things, judging cases, praying, teaching, all this. And in the middle of that, he has a blind spot in particular with respect to God's power, does not believe in God's power in one area. What is that area, my friends? He did not believe in God's power to be manifested through one another. You see, it's interesting, uh, this man Jethro is kind of a mysterious figure, uh, Moses' father-in-law, and you know we heard from him earlier in the book, and he comes here, and what's interesting is that Jethro kind of, kind of, seems to possibly be a new believer, right? He says to Moses, now I know that, that the Lord God is the all-powerful one. He's like, now I, as I've heard from you, as we've seen, you know, the Egyptian wreckage, I've come to the conclusion that yes, God is the powerful one, right? Seems like a new Christian, and yet he is able to correct Moses where he's blind, right? And that's a principle, by the way, that is true in the church of Jesus Christ, that uh, seniority, right, history, position, rank, whatever, right, those things do not exist in the church in the same way they do in the culture, right? Right? And in the church of Jesus Christ, we believe that even the newest of Christians can make insight about blind spots that are taking place in the most experienced of Christians, right? So I like to share that as I was interning for Pastor Sam years ago, had a really hard day, went over for dinner, and was rebuked by his son, who I think was about nine. (laughs) And he was right, (laughs) and I had to receive it, right? And that's, you know, that can happen in the kingdom of God, right? You can, you can be corrected. You can have walked with God for many decades and yet be corrected by a child. And so that's what's happening here. This man, Jethro, is correcting Moses, even though he has nowhere close to the uh, experience that Moses has with God. And he says, you know, you, Moses, have a blind spot. And that blind spot is that you do not recognize God's power, right? Same power that dealt with the Egyptians, is designed to be manifested in one another, right? Moses was trying to carry the load of leadership for the people all by himself. And friends, I want to tell you this is the the main point, the main principle that you all, every single one of you, must understand. If, If you want to be part of what God is doing in Phoenixville or whatever your context happens to be if you're visiting from out of town, if you want to be involved in this, you need to understand God's primary design 
in his, what we call his movement, a movement of God, his primary design is that his movement is carried out, not by one really talented person, but by a multiplication of leaders. A multiplication of leaders. Right? God's design is to raise up not just one person or not just a handful, but to show his power through everyone, including those you would never expect it to be manifested in. Right? That he designs a multiplication of leaders. And the language that uh, I think the scripture would commend to us in defining what does it mean in this context to be a leader, the language that the scripture is essentially getting at is summed up in the word responsibility. Okay? Responsibility. You see, in this passage, a leader is one who is willing not to be only responsible for his own actions, but is willing to say, I will take responsibility for some others, right? That's the basic idea of what a leader is in the scriptures. And uh, as we we see that, we see that God has interest in a multiplication of leaders, but secondly, God has interest not just in a lot of leaders, but in them being well-organized, right? So So Jethro comes and says, You need to have some people that are leading 10, some that are leading hundreds, and some that are leading thousands, right? And, you know, there was a story that happens very early in the earliest pages of the scriptures. Adam and Eve, right, they have children. And like all families, except theirs was literal, you know, the the brothers try to kill each other. One is successful, right? Cain is able to kill Abel. And this uh, iconic exchange happens Right after that, he has murdered his brother, he has taken his blood, and God comes up to him, right? Where is your brother? And what does he say? Am I my brother's keeper? Do I bear any responsibility for him? Right? It's this iconic phrase that comes up. And, you know, as we look at what leadership is happening in this passage, what we see here is that the true idea of leadership in the scriptures is an exact reversal of that. You see that? These folks who are raised up were saying, you know what, I won't simply like watch out for myself. I won't simply, you know, be my own person for myself. I will take on a group of others and I will bear responsibility for them. It's articulated, by the way, in this language of carrying a load, right? I will carry the load of this group of people. You know, and in our culture, uh, it's interesting because our culture kind of has uh, a different view of it. You see, if you are um, in a business or in an organization, and often, frankly, in a church, it happens as well, right? We see folks who are really eager to be in charge, right? Sometimes you see people who are really eager to be in charge. And most of the time, those folks who are eager to be in charge in their minds, what they're really interested in is power, right? I am not, I'm not going to sing, I've got the power, although I have in the past done a good impersonation of that, okay? I've got, the, no. All right, so, right, in our culture, right, if, you know, I, I have worked in politics and Wall Street, okay? And in those two places, right, 
there is a culture of advancement and competition, and the end game is power. I want the ability to decide. That is the creme de la creme for them. That is what they are thinking of. You see, but in the scriptures, leadership is not about power, right? It's not about power. Leadership is about responsibility, right? These folks who were being raised up were willing to say, I will take on the responsibility to carry the weight of others. And by the way, I would like to point this out. I do this when I do premarital counseling. So the scriptures uh, do plainly teach that there, is, there are some different roles in marriage. Sam likes to call it asymmetry, right? And the scriptures do teach. They say that the husband bears a greater responsibility than the wife, which is why the scriptures say that when there are times of disputes, not over the TV remote, right, but over the spiritual formation of the family, that the husband is the one who ultimately breaks the tie, as it were. Why? Because God will look him, you, in the eyes and say, you are responsible. And so I don't like this language of submission and headship. I like the language of responsibility because that's the entire thing that's happening there. Right? The entire thing is saying, I will, you know, when a man marries a woman, he says before God, I will take responsibility for you. I will carry your load. I will bear your sorrows. And I will answer to God for what happens in our family in a way that you will not. Right? That's called leadership. That's the basics of leadership. You know where we see this most powerfully displayed, I think? Uh, towards the end of, uh, it's in Mark and it's also in John, you see these two disciples and they are jockeying for position with Jesus. Right? They, are, they're, they get Jesus alone and they say, you know, we think your kingdom is coming and I was just wondering, can you set aside your right hand and your left hand for us to be with you there? You know, I'd like to be Secretary of State. I'd like to be National Security Advisor. I just think I'd do a really good job of that. They're jockeying for power. One, by the way, one of them even has his mom go and ask for him. You know, it's, you know you're desperate for position when you ask your mom to go, you know, lobby for you with Jesus. Right? She goes and she loves. She's like, you know, Jesus, my, my son is a good man. You know, and I just think that it, I just think it would be really good if he could sit at your right hand, you know, and have this position. What does Jesus say in response to those people? Right? What does he say in response to them? This gets at the essence of leadership, where he says, You want to sit at my right hand? Do you want to have authority? Can you drink the cup I'm about to drink? Can you, can you be baptized with the baptism that I am about to be baptized with? What is he speaking of? Answer, that cup, that cup is the cup where Jesus Christ says, I will be responsible for every single one of Darren's failings. And boy, that is a lot. And yours too. He says, I will take on the responsibility for the failings of my people. I will bear their load like has never been done in all of human history. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? 
right? When these folks are saying, I want the power, you know, like they're singing the song, it's on in the background, on repeat, on Spotify, saying, this is for us, my mom is going to lobby, and he's saying, do you, you have any understanding that you are, that this, this influence is not about power, it is about the bearing of weight, the bearing of responsibility, and if you want to see what it looks like, let me go show you this cross down the street. That's leadership. That is what it is all about. And so, that's what we're seeing here, right? Jethro is saying to Moses, you are not able to bear the load of this people. Translated, you do not have as much as you think you have, right? You think that you can carry the load of this people, but God's design is that there would be a multiplication of leaders who would be raised up to carry this load. In other words, Moses was not adequately in tune with God's power, and he was not adequately in tune with his own limits. And so he is corrected by Jethro, and so he embraces this correction. And what Jethro, of course, advises is that there be a structure to leadership, that there be these multi-levels. And for what it's worth, um, the most popular topic to date at the Exploring Ironworks seminar that I hope many of you will decide to participate in this fall, if you haven't been before. Most popular topic at the, you know, what is Ironworks Church all about? Who are we? What's our views, beliefs, practices? The most common popular topic is our church government, right? Which (laughs) is, what does it mean to be Presbyterian? Well, to be Presbyterian, I'll give you a very basic answer, means that there are structures of accountability so that if I go off the rails, that we have a session who can deal with that. And if our session goes off the rails, we have a presbytery that can deal with that. And then if our presbytery would happen to go off the rails, we have a general assembly who can deal with that. The idea behind Presbyterian government is that there are structures of responsibility and structures of accountability. Right? And that's similar to what uh, Jethro is advising here. And by the way, one of the ways that you can tell if someone believes in the kind of leadership that I'm articulating here, right, one of the ways that you can, not entirely diagnostic, but one way that's really helpful is this. If you ever meet someone who is just hungry for leadership, but that person is really not interested in being under leadership themselves, being under accountability, probably not interested in doing this, right? They're probably like the guys on the, in the politics that I met, right? Very eager for power, not so eager to be accountable to others, right? But the principle of the scripture is that everyone who is under authority, whoever, who has authority, ought to be under authority themselves. And I, you know, I say this when folks come for premarital counseling, I'll say, you know, Look very carefully, I'll say to the, to the wife-to-be, look very carefully at your husband-to-be. Is he someone who is willing to be accountable to others? Because it was very, very unwise to put yourself in this kind of relationship with someone who is unwilling to be accountable themselves. And it's what we see, right? That we see there's a, a tiered structure of leadership that Moses advises um, and that makes a lot of sense and that he will ultimately embrace. 
So that is what's going on. And we've said already that the work of leadership is primarily bearing responsibility. This language in verse 18 is in carrying a load. And so dysfunctional leadership, as we said, will avoid accountability and will use power to protect oneself. But biblical leadership gives away power and resources and bears the responsibilities even of the failings of others. And so this is where we're going here. This is uh, what Jesus is doing as he talks to the, his disciples. And so how, is there a path to this kind of leadership? In, in other words, what's, how does someone enter and be prepared for this kind of activity? And then secondly, why would any of you want to be doing this, right? You know, I'm not a great salesman, okay? <laughs> this is, you know, I, I'll just be upfront with you. My goal in preaching this sermon, one of my goals, is that dozens of you would rise up and to say, I'm, I'm open to God using me in ways that I have not previously been open to. That is my goal, just flat out, right? And my sales pitch is, you get to carry a lot more weight. You get to bear a lot more load, right? You get to answer for a lot more, right? And Jesus goes really far. He says, you know, you get the cup that I drink. Are you able to, you know, he points to that, right? Not a great sales pitch. So why would you ever want to consider that? Right? Why would you ever want to be open to doing something like this? And by the way, some of you are sitting here and you're saying, Darren, this sermon is 100% irrelevant to me because I just know in my bones that I am not a leader and I never will be, and that's okay, and you know, so I'm just going to go on Twitter for a while. Right? Just want to appeal to you before you open the app. Okay? Right? Before you open the app, I just want to appeal to you this. What this passage is bringing out is that there are not just one kinds of leaders, right? There's some who have been raised up to be in charge of thousands, right? There's some who have been raised up to be in charge of tens. And I would tell you that if you are mentoring one person, right? If, you are ment- if there's one person that you can say, you know what, I want to carry your load someone. I want to invest in you. I want to serve you. That is a form of leadership. Right? So even down to that, and if you're a parent, by the way, you are by definition a leader of your children. Right? God has raised you up for this task. Right? So don't think in your mind, you know, just leader of thousands or the very highest positions. Think of your context. Is God calling me to be stretched out of my comfort zone and to be willing to bear responsibility for others? And friends, I'll tell you this, that the Scripture actually discusses leadership in the 12th chapter of Romans as a gift that God has prepared for us, says Ephesians 2, good works that he's prepared for all of his people to walk in. And what this passage shows is that he multiplies people to be involved in this kind of activity, take responsibility not just for themselves but for others. And I will tell you that If, no matter where you are in life, no matter what your position is, no matter what your gifting is, every single one of you has the ability and opportunity to mentor at least one person, right? Every single one of you has that ability. I assure you, no matter who you are, no matter how long you've been a Christian, there is someone who knows less than you. I just promise you that, okay? 
There, and there's someone who knows more than you. And so what's happening in this passage is that Moses is being corrected because he does not believe that the movement of God will only come about not through just one or not just through a few. Keep in mind, they already had elders, by the way, at this point, but through a multiplication of leaders. And friends, I will tell you that uh, one of my highest pleasures uh, in this whole church planning enterprise, one of my highest pleasures has been walking with many of you and, and some who are not in this room and finding out that some who had never considered being a leader in any respect have been the very best leaders we have. I could tell you stories of folks who, uh, before coming to Ironworks, only served in the background and in church plants, by the way, are awesome at, <laughs> you know, looking at someone who has never done anything and said, you know, we think you'd be really good at X. You know, hi, you're here and, you know, you've never used a kitchen. Why don't you lead the hospitality team? You know, <laughs> you know church plans are just desperate for everything. And I'll tell you that uh, in some cases, I've been overwhelmingly surprised at God's power being at work in you. And so, friends, uh, my exhortation to us all is this, right? Do we believe that God is interested not simply in nice services, not simply in a church that pays its bills and you know, conducts services, but in a movement. If he is, and if you are, if you will become dissatisfied with just kind of going along with the motions at church, then understand that his activity is to multiply leaders among us. And I will tell you, uh, from my own self, that this is an area of profound correction that I am receiving from the Lord. It has become overwhelmingly clear that I, like Moses, have not given this enough attention. But what God is showing me in the scriptures, and I hope what he's showing you, is that his spirit is at work in you and in your neighbor in ways that you probably don't expect. And his invitation to you in general is to consider this question, am I solely focused on myself and my situation, or is he calling me to take responsibility, to invest in, to carry the load of another? Maybe for you, it's mentoring one person. Maybe he's calling you to lead a ministry team or a home group. Maybe he's calling you to come on staff, right? Maybe he's calling you to be a church planner. I don't know. But God's power is at work in you in all sorts of ways. And the invitation is to be open to that. And, you know, as we come to this table, as we uh, turn our attention to the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the most beautiful picture of why you would ever want to take that risk. I often ask myself this question, Darren, why did I become a pastor again? Help me remember. <laughs> you know, in the difficult times, this was a difficult week, right? Why would you ever want to become a pastor? I can't remember. Oh, yes, now I remember because Jesus Christ looked me straight in the eye and he said, Darren, I have taken responsibility for you. I have carried all of your sins. I have carried your load. When you thought you were walking alone, I was carrying you. When you were out there wrecking everything, I was drinking this cup for you. When you were going off the rails, I was bringing you back at a cost solely to myself. And Darren, I have designed for your life and your joy and your meaning to be inextricably, inextricably bound 
with walking in courage after me and being willing to take risks to walk in the good works that I have prepared for you, that I have gifted you in. And friends, I'll tell you that there is no other life to be lived. The life of selfishness, the life of investing only in yourself, is a lie. But the life of the disciple of Jesus Christ, who is willing to take risks, who is willing to bear additional responsibility, who is willing to carry the load of others, is the blessed life. And we see that in this table. And I hope that you see it for yourself as well. Let me pray for you.